Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Chip Frederick joins us today. We'll talk Vanderbilt baseball. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland & Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland & Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt has advanced to the College World Series for the fifth time in program history. Commodores will face Arizona in their first game. First pitch time yet to be determined, but the game will be next Saturday. Commodores get terrific pitching performances out of Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker. We'll talk about those subjects at length today in our podcast. Chip Frederick joins us today. It is Monday morning. The Commodores have clinched a bid to Omaha, what seems like an eternity ago, given how many games have been played elsewhere in the NCAA tournament since. Chip, it was a memorable weekend. I know you were there for it. Um, what did you make of Andy's run through the Nashville Super Regional? Well, these, these events don't ever get old, Chris. I tell you that much. And and you listen to a lot of coaches. You listen to Tim Corbin's press conference. You know, you, you listen to other coaches who made it for the first time, multiple times. The pinnacle of college baseball is making it, of course, to Omaha and being one of the final eight teams in the country and the event and the pageantry that is is involved in that. Of course, you want to go out there and do well and win it. But all these teams need to be rewarded for just the parity that's in college baseball right now and how difficult it is with what has gone on the college landscape, you know, over the last decade or so. It used to be we had, you know, South Carolina winning back-to-back and almost winning three in a row. And and those days seem to be uh, somewhat gone, although you do have a Vanderbilt team that is theoretically going, trying to go back-to-back. But it, it is an amazing feat. It is a difficult feat with what the, these teams had to go through this year with restrictions and playing in front of empty stadiums and, and COVID regulations and holding players out. You could just see in Tim Corbin's face in the press conference uh, after the game on Saturday, just it was almost like a, a load was lifted off of him, although he's, he stays pretty tightly wound and serious as you go through, and he will continue to be so. But you really saw, I think, in his face uh, just his expression that just getting there and what they had to do to get there was a, a monumental task and something he's very proud of. So it's uh, – it, it is good to be back for this team. I know we've talked in the last couple of weeks. It's, it's a different team. We said that, you know, we pointed that out. You and I did a month and a half ago. We went almost line by line and position by position. And so slowly that's caught on uh, with the fan base, I think, and some articles have been written locally that this is, this is new for most of these kids. A lot of these kids who, you know, were in Omaha two years ago were in, sweats or shouldn't be sweats in Omaha, but shorts and t-shirts and weren't even dressed out. So this is going to be a brand new uh, situation for them. I'm ecstatic for Tim Corbin and his staff, the entire team. It's it's great to be back and it's uh, something that should be applauded and as applauded for those other seven teams as well. It just is so bizarre watching the rest of the country. Baseballs are flying out left and right. And then you watch them Leiter gives up one home run 
And East Carolina, which is a really good hitting team, does not get a runner past second base total in two games. It's like you're you're watching baseball from a different era when you watch these guys pitch. They are just at pitching at that high a level right now. Yes, and and then to the other side of that though, you know, Rocker and Lighter gave up a few more home runs this year than was expected. I mean, the, if you remember the Tennessee game, which that park, you know, uh, I don't know. There must be something in the air in Knoxville, or I mean, I know it's short dimensions, and that was talked about on the broadcast this weekend about being 390 to center and all that. But uh, I think there's something to be said. You know, the ball is jumping out of places. You see what Arizona did to Ole Miss last night. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is – you're seeing a lot of home runs. You're seeing a lot of balls is hit with excessive power and balls bouncing off the fence and hitting the gaps and routine balls that you think uh, are – you know, outs or carrying at some of these parks, but maybe it's just uh, that time of year when the air, you know, it's it's just a little different air and the ball can travel more. But you got to remember on the other side, as you just said, you know, you, there there were times this year where Rocker and Lighter gave up their share of home runs too. And there, I know there's that discussion in pro ball too, that if something's been happening with the baseball, but that's for another discussion. But yeah, it, it's um, some crazy regionals and super regionals we've witnessed and, uh, you know, some unexpected turns and twists where the SEC looks like three max, uh, depending on what happens with Mississippi State and Notre Dame. And there was a scenario, I think, that it could have been seven. Theoretically, there could have been seven teams in Omaha, which would have been crazy. But that list has kind of dwindled where it's now Vanderbilt, Tennessee, and you have the possibility of Mississippi State. Okay, I want to talk about Lighter and Rocker here in a minute in terms of what they did this weekend, but explain this one to me. I keep looking at the stat sheet every week and thinking somebody has gotten a column out of order, but uh, Jack Lighter this year, 96 innings, 41 hits, a 127 average against, uh, 156 strikeouts. Of those hits, two doubles, no triples, 12 home runs. How in the world do you explain a guy giving up 12 home runs and two doubles all year? Uh, you know, you can you can get into all this stuff that gets all scientific with launch angles and guys going for home runs more. And, and there's studies that show that, you know, there's going to be more strikeouts. If you're going for the home run ball and these launch angles these kids are working on in the cages, then you're going to have more home runs and you're also going to have more strikeouts uh, than, than you're seeing that at the pro level too. But that is pretty amazing. Um, you know, you can pinpoint almost the home runs that he gave up. What did he give up in Knoxville? Of those 12, were three, three in Knoxville? Three. three. He okay, gave up so. eight in a three-game stretch. I almost think – and look, I don't mean to minimize what hitters did against him when they hit home runs because sometimes you, you, you hang a pitch or whatever. But I, I think that if you swing the bat that hard enough against a pitch that's coming in that hard – I almost think that, like, blindfolded you could hit a couple home runs off Jack Leiter a, a year just because of how hard it comes in and, and given the swing paths. I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but I, I think that maybe that's some of it. I don't know. No, that totally makes sense. I mean, you, you, the, when you have, and I've talked about before, throwing 96, 97 miles an hour and you throw it straight – it's difficult to hit, and it's sometimes you're just picking up a, a red dot of the seam on on the baseball, and you're swinging. And if it hits the meat of the bat, it's going to go. You're almost letting 
the pitcher do the heavy work uh, as far as the velocity hitting the bat. And I had a hitting coach tell me one time a few weeks ago, I was talking to him, you know, there's only a surface of the bat, the sweet spot of the bat that hasn't changed. Whether you're talking about the old aluminum bats that were used 30 and 40 years ago, or you're talking about the bats that are used now, there's a certain sweet spot of any bat, including wooden bats that, if, if you hit it in that area, it, the ricochet and the trampoline effect is going to happen. If you don't, you hit it at the end of the bat or you hit it on the handle. And so these kids, I think, have gotten so good, the hitters have, as far as breaking down their swing, getting that sweet spot in the zone, positioning themselves to, and what we just said a second ago, just letting the 97-mile-an-hour fastball be the conduit to launching it. And you, when you include the launch angles, and hitting the ball far away. And I think that's happened a lot here uh, lately, pro game and college game. I was watching Jack throw, and I'm just watching him land curveballs and, and maybe an occasional changeup and, and the slider and the fastball. And granted, he had a generous strike zone. And I think sometimes maybe that's why he walks as many guys as he does because he's not afraid to throw just about any pitch in any count, and he knows that a team's probably not going to make him pay for it with the base hit. Um, I wonder sometimes if that explains some of the walks, knowing that he can kind of pitch out of it with the next guy. But I'm just watching and thinking, when it comes in that hard, and he's giving you that many different looks, God help you trying to hit that. And and Corbin talked about, what C.J. Rodriguez, he was he was uh, praising him after the game in one of the comments he said, and, and it was totally agree because even the broadcasters on television noticed that he added his curveball. He was throwing fastball, cutter, slider, and then he comes out in the third or fourth and starts throwing that hook, which they the first round of the batters hadn't seen. And when you haven't seen, first of all, when you haven't seen Jack Leiter, it's, it's an adjustment, or Kumar Rocker, it's an adjustment the first time just to see it because they're right on top of you. Then when a pitcher, and, and Corbin's comment was talking about how Rodriguez had to adjust to all of a sudden, all right, here comes his fourth pitch, and it's going to be different than he's thrown, not that he hadn't thrown it all year, but all of a sudden he starts working that in. Now you got four pitches going, and, uh, and when, when you can set those up and you get in plus positions in the count where you're not falling behind, Notice that, I mean, he was clean all the way through the seventh, so he didn't have that Bermuda Triangle first, second inning that he has had in the past. When he throws clean innings like that up until the seventh when he gives up the solo home run, there's just not much you can do about it, and especially when he incorporates that fourth pitch. I think Ben McDonald uh, was the one who said on the, on the color, just that's, uh, I think he said the last time I saw a, a hook like that, it had a fish on it. I mean, it was a sharp breaking curveball, and it was reminiscent, not as dominant as Rocker was against Duke two years ago, but where that pitch was landing in the dirt, uh, I don't think East Carolina had much uh, opportunity to put the bat on the ball at all. It is just amazing to me that neither of those guys flinched all weekend because they're pitching for a lot, man. They're pitching for a national title. They are pitching for their professional futures. All it takes is is hanging a couple at the wrong time, and a lot can come crumbling down. And that's what I was just most amazed at all weekend was, again, when you look around the country and everything is playing out differently, you just look at those two and just go, I may never see this again. 
No, and it, I don't think you. I mean, the one-two punch that just kind of sort of happened. Um, the stars align, and you get these two kids uh, together in one spot. And that's why I mentioned last week we need to enjoy this, watching these two kids compete, regardless of what happens in Omaha, regardless of what would happen last weekend or this past weekend. But it's a special pairing that they have, and and you know how good they are. And and I think this was bannered around. I mean, when you have Williams and Wisenhunt going, and they threw as well as they did. Those two guys, I mean, East Carolina was a tough out, Chris. Yes. Will, I mean, Williams, that, I was super impressed with that kid. I mean, that that guy, when I walked in the stadium and saw him, uh, you know, I mean, he, he is, and I think he was a reliever in the past, kind of had some arm trouble. It came on the scene, and, and he made himself some money on Friday afternoon. Uh, he was poised. He threw 111 pitches. And he was disappointed when he came out. He did not want to come out uh, when, th- when he threw that. When he threw it seven and a third, he wasn't fighting, in, you know, Godwin, but he certainly had a look on his face like, I want the ball and I, and I don't want to leave this game. And I think he, uh, again, he earned himself a lot of money. But when you pitch as well, when you're Cliff Godwin, and I think he basically admitted this, you, you got your frontline guys throw as well as they did and – Sometimes you just got to tip your cap, and their guys, uh, you know, they Vanderbilt was able to scratch out some runs and get ahead and just kind of survive and and win the ball game. So, but they they were a tough out. It was a much, you know, though it was a sweep, Chris. It was a much tougher two game series than 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 the numbers show. And uh, you know, I was extremely impressed. You know, they, when you when you don't get a runner, and check me if I'm wrong. Uh, did they get a runner on third base all weekend? No, they did not. They okay, they got yeah. the home run and other that nobody got past second, according to I, what I had in my scorebook. Yeah, you you brought that up. I think at the press cut that was your question, and that's that's about as dominating as you can get. Even with when you had you know Maldonado come in, you had Murphy come in 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 game one. Uh, that's that's pretty phenomenal that a staff doesn't let anybody go on third base, and it just shows the dominance of the pitching. It was a it was a pitching. Uh, masterpiece this weekend uh, by the Vanderbilt staff. All right, let's talk Kumar Rocker. I feel like he just gets taken for granted anymore. And the thing that was interesting to me, and I I don't know that he's a guy that enjoys talking to the media a lot. You don't get a lot out of him. I'm not trying to be critical of him. It just is. But that curveball that he was throwing, because I I tracked velocities and pitches every game. And sometimes you don't know what a pitch is called or whatever, but I notice he's throwing this thing that is, you know, mid mid to high 70s that I hadn't seen much before. I, what I was told is the, the cutter is the high 80s thing. The slider is the thing that sits around 80. And, of course, you can recognize the break of those pitches too. But he called that pitch he was throwing in the 70s, he called it a curveball. And I'm looking and I'm looking at the, um, I think this is the fifth inning, he goes uh, third pitch of the inning, 75, then another 75 on the next pitch, then a 74. Uh, then there's some 76s mixed in, 77s later that inning. I don't remember him throwing a curveball. Again, it just seems like the, the names of these pitches sometimes are almost interchangeable. You know, Kevin Copps a couple of weeks ago had a cutter. Now they're calling it a, a gyro ball, whatever that is. <laughs> But uh, what what do you make of that pitch that he was throwing? I just don't remember that being part of his arsenal, at least not at that velocity. He said he's had it, 
and he's kind of remade it, but you're the pitcher. You know what you're looking at better than I am. Tell me about that thing that he was throwing. Uh, well, as Ben McDonald said on the broadcast, he he called it a get it over curveball. And, and that's all. You can take pace off a pitch, and it can change uh, things dramatically. You could take a... You know, sometimes it's a batting practice fastball. You, some people call it a, just to give a different uh, look to the batter from what they've seen. And when you go deep in a ball game, somebody's been up to the plate three and four times. Unless you're Kumar Rocker throwing against Duke when it basically was two years ago. Here it is. Here's what I'm going to throw you, and you're not going to be able to hit it. Now, that doesn't happen that often. So when you get a situation like Rocker was facing against East Carolina, I think all he did was he just took the pace off the ball. And as McDonald mentioned, the broadcast to get it over curveball, uh, he, he can change the look of it. He can change the angle of it. And that's all he did. I don't ever remember. I'm with you. I don't ever remember Rocker throwing a pitch that slow as far as giving a variation of speed. But anytime you can do that as a pitcher, it changes a lot of different things. It changes if someone's going to be sitting on your fastball or sitting on that slider, which is difficult to do with Rocker in any time, whether he's on or off. I think it was brilliant that he brought it out of, of, the, of his hat, so to speak, and, and it definitely gives him something going to Omaha. Just a little change of pace, not throw it all the time, but give hitters something to think about. You know, their bullpen was pretty good, too. Yes, uh, you know, Maldonado coming in and throwing the third of an inning, um, and, you know, Rocker didn't want to come out either. <laughs> I, I know he – I think he understood it, and it was like 9 billion degrees, and we're wearing black pinstripes, but you weren't going to change that, right, Chris? I mean, it didn't matter if it was 110. They were going to wear black pinstripes, and uh, the hottest color on the, one of the hottest days they've ever played here in Nashville on that turf, which I'm sure it was an extra 10 degrees hotter. But Maldonado comes out and throws a third. And I, I was a little surprised he didn't come out uh, for the last inning. Uh, I think I texted you and I said, I think I said, hmm, was my text H-M-M-M. Um, that, that was but, your text. That's correct. Uh, yeah. And, but, it, of course, they, these guys know what they're doing. And it works out that Maldonado comes out on game two and was great uh, to finish things off. But Luke Murphy, um, 14 pitches. Uh, faced three batters, got some ground balls, I think, and fly out. So he did well. It's the right decision. But you almost in in this day and age, unless you're cops at Arkansas, once you come out, you, these guys, Maldonado did it one time this year, and it didn't have a great result coming back 24 hours later. But that's something they're going to need in Omaha. And he did well and handled it. But Murphy held his own and was thrown in the upper 90s, 95, 96. So the strategy worked. But, yeah, you, you look at the how they did the entire weekend and Maldonado, Murphy, Rocker, Leiter lit it up and did great. Well, people approach this differently. Like, I think I said I was talking to Willie Donick during the, the regional, and, and Willie was like, I think you bring Murphy in here. Like, I don't know. Uh, you yeah. still got a lot of baseball to play, and you never know how, especially this day and age, one swing of the bat can change things. Vanderbilt right now, offensively, and we'll get to that in a minute, not exactly putting up a ton of runs consistently. So I'm always the mind of, I think if you guys throwing well, you try to keep him in there. I, I think you got him the luxury of a couple more runs in the ninth, which change it from a 2-1 to one game to a 4-1 to one game. But I, I just think that you never know when your fortunes can change pretty quickly, when a gust of wind gets a ball, when a hitter makes a good swing on it. Because once you, and, and this almost 
really cost him in that Tech game. You know, once you got a guy a couple innings, you know, once you take him out, you can't bring him back. And so I liked it in that case. To me, Maldonado looked really good in the eighth. I'm thinking, why, why take him out? Because you just never know what's going to happen. Uh, you never know when you're going to be one of those games where it's the 14th inning and you're going to regret having burned this guy earlier. I'm of the mindset that if a guy's throwing well in that spot, let him ride it out as long as you feel like it makes sense. Well, ECU was having trouble with Rocker's velocity, 94-95 all, all afternoon. Um, you know, he only gave up three hits all afternoon. And the the strategy could have been, well, you know, not that, you know, Maldonado's low 90s and has a great breaking ball. You know, give him that change of pace and then knock him out in the ninth with more velocity, which we all know Luke Murphy has. I mean, Murphy's, Murphy's going to be high 90s, uh, a lot of heat. For an inning, maybe two, maybe four or five batters, and then he does drop off a little bit, as he's shown, and that could have been the strategy that, look, you know, we, we gave him the change of pace, got the third of an inning out of the way, and we're going to go back with the heat. This season of the podcast was made possible by Jody Jones DDS. He is our presenting sponsor of the podcast this year. Jody was a football player at Vanderbilt, is a huge football booster, Jody also owns the best dentistry practice in Nashville, whether it's cosmetic dentistry or just general dentistry. Go see Dr. Jones today. His offices are unbelievable. It is truly a spy-like atmosphere, and if you go in, you never know who you're going to see. Jody is the dentist to all kinds of stars in this area, whether those are athletes, whether they're movie stars, music stars. All kinds of people make Jody their dentist because he's truly the best in Nashville. Go see him at 55 Music Square East. Again, it is an experience where you will be made comfortable. Uh, You'll love Dr. Jones, and you can talk Vanderbilt sports to him too. But anyway, go see Dr. Jody Jones today and tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. What do you make of their bats right now? The bats, you know, they're going to have to be a lot better. And, and especially if you see, uh, you know, what Arizona did out there to Ole Miss in a, in a three-game series, especially game three, they're going to have to have some more run support. So there's some guy, you know, I think the unsung hero of the weekend in a way, C.J. Rodriguez, what can you say about him, um, especially the game that he comes in uh, on, on the 2, two nothing uh, win. And, you know, Rodriguez has shown – that if you're going to throw him a fastball, he's going to murder it. He, the, the guy has seen everything in the SEC. He has seen uh, the best. He's seen 90-plus fastballs. Curveball can be a, little, a suspect, but, you know, boy, where he's hitting in the lineup, and you wonder if they're going to, you know, consider moving him up. You know, Leneve has, has kind of, you know, hit the wall a little bit, and I don't know if that's to be expected that that was going to happen after a torrid start that he was on. You've got Carter Young and Bradfield. It was great to see Carter Young. He moves up to the two-hole, uh, and and you know he he struggled a little bit, except that last hit and got it. And it you know it, it has got to be something for that kid. You know he's he leads the team in home runs and leads the team in strikeouts. He's it's been a little feast or famine, but you know there's some holes there, uh, and and they're going to have to get those settled. You know it seems like Isaiah Thomas is feast or famine, and when he does, you know it, it comes up in a big way, but. They got some time to figure it out here, and 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 they'll be heading out to Omaha and hopefully you know get in their routine. But um, yeah, th- it's going to have to be with the teams they're going to be facing. Looking at how this bracket may shape up, it's going to have to be a lot more run support on their end 
Uh, I don't care that if Locker and Ryder are on the hill, you'd like to think that that would be minimized. You know, get two wins this weekend against East Carolina against a very potent offense coming into this series. So maybe that could happen again, but you never want to take that for granted. You want to be hitting on all cylinders. And, and there's some holes there that they're going to have to figure out and get some guys back in the groove. You know, it's really funny, the moving parts in their lineup. You know, it seems like not long ago, Spencer Jones was their DH. And before that, Jack Bolger was their DH till he got hurt. And you're looking up and going, you know, probably pl- platoon at that spot. And all of a sudden, Leneve comes up and, and locks down left field in the meantime. And, and now you look up and, and Bolger's playing some. Jones, I don't know if he's had it bad in weeks. And, and now you got Javi Vaz in left, which I understand the reasons why. I think they need a little better defense out there, and I think with his speed he gives it to them. But it just really was not what I expected to see at this point of the season. I'm Again, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just not something I, I thought that we would be seeing right now. What do you make of that? No, you're right. You're absolutely right. I, I think in, in teams past, uh, coached by Tim Corbin, three, four weeks ago they would have had their lineup set. You would have the outfield set. And that's not to say that's a disaster situation that we're going into Omaha with sort of a musical chairs at DH in the outfield spot. But looking at it at at a park like TD Ameritrade, when you have Bradfield and Vaz out there roaming the left and center spots, there's a lot of room to cover out there, as you know. And and a lot of these balls have been hit out of parks across the country and Knoxville and in Arizona and wherever, those are going to be fly balls at TD Ameritrade um, unless something <laughs> remarkable has happened and they find out the baseball has been doctored in some way and that it really is traveling or the bats are different, which they're not, I don't think. But those, those are going to be fly balls. So you're going to have to have a, a, that Grand Canyon type outfield out there. You're going to have to have some guys cover. But it, I will admit to you, it is a little different when you have different components kind of being inserted in and out. And then what happens, you know, if the second, with the second base situation, you know, what happens if Colwick comes back, then what do you do? Which uh, I really do thought, think that he was missed a little bit, not necessarily in on the infield, but his bad. I mean, he, when he was popping the baseball, when he came out, even after his handmade in, injury, and he was one of those guys who was really contributing on the offensive side, um, you know, he's batting 288, but there for a while there, and he was on a big tear. So, you know, it is a, a bit different kind of not knowing who is going to be uh, in, in that spot, in the outfield spots or at second base or the DH role. But you and I both know it's going to be the players who are who are hitting well and, and the ones who are in a groove and have, have settled in, and that we could possibly just be in for that based on situations and changing that off game to game, who's the better matchup. Okay, well, here's another interesting thing, okay? I think statistically speaking, Gonzalez has probably been their fourth best hitter, uh, and and now you know how Tim likes experience. And I'm not, again, that's not a knock. It's just a, a comment on the situation. He's a senior. It seems like the issues at third base, we haven't seen those in a while in terms of the throwing errors. So now I, I do wonder what they're going to do there. Does, do they just ride this out the rest of the series with Gonzalez? Because remember, you know, he had the biggest hit probably of that second game against Georgia Tech. Um, he did not play too well Friday night, struck out a couple times, hitting a double play. But then you fast forward to game two against East Carolina where he walks and gets an infield single and frankly had another one, maybe had a couple this weekend. 
uh, where he hit the ball on the screws, they just had him played well. He had one ball, ski ramp off the mound right to the second baseman. Gonzalez all of a sudden looking like a kid that he's been getting some some big hits or some big times on base for them where they need it and working counts. And when the defense is present, which it has been, uh, you know, that's kind of what got him out of the lineup was the erraticness uh, at third. Well, if that's not there, you have to wonder how they play that going forward. Yeah, Gonzalez was impressive to me this weekend. He started with 12 errors on the season, and he ended the weekend with 12. And I think he's been sitting on 12 for a while. Pre, the, You know, he had a, a, a tough ball or two at the SEC tournament. But he's settled down over there, and he's a senior, and he's this is his last time around. And I think he's, the, you know, you a team this young, you're looking at somebody to say, you know, how do we do this? How do we what's Omaha like? What, what, what's, what's the park like? What's it like staying in the hotel? He can answer all those questions and because he was there. And, and so I, I was really impressed with him this weekend. He took some, you know, he had some balls on the run that he fielded and, and threw on the run. As you mentioned, there was a hot shot to him in the game two, the, this past regional or super regional that he handled. So I was really impressed with him. And I, I think you might see him there. I, I don't think, uh, you know, being there the last two games, of course, you've got the Colwick situation. How's that going to affect things? But it's going to be hard to pull him out of the lineup based on how he played this weekend. Yeah, I wonder if we won't see a lot of different lineups in Omaha depending on the pitching. Right. I think so. Uh, and, you know, you don't know. You know, Arizona, game one, looking at their staff and, and how they do it, you know, they kind of – they don't have many pitchers. I kind of did some research going back on their regional and even some weekend play uh, that they've done. It's almost like pitching by committee by them. They'll go with a guy for three innings, two innings. Uh, you know, I, I think Jay Johnson has a quick hook. He's not going to – he might be a guy who's looks like a guy who's one time through the lineup, then we'll go with somebody else, a different change of pace. And you're going to see different things. And, and I, will, I won't say, you know, his, of course, worked. And this is a whole nother topic, Chris, but the freak out factor that I call it that happened with SEC coaches yesterday with Van Horn and Bianco, more so uh, Van Horn, uh, <laughs> changing what they've done the entire season. And, and, and I know it's do or die and it's the play to get to Omaha, but that was just puzzling to me that Bianco starts a reliever and he's never done that before. Van Horn brings cops in and doing doing throwing them 100 and whatever pitches, 118 pitches. Um, I, I think you will never see that with Tim Corbin, just the fact of his consistency that he does. But I'm going off on another ta tangent, and I'm sorry, but uh, I, I guess my point is is I don't think you're, the consistency is what you're going to see out of Tim Corbin. You shouldn't expect anything else. And I think you know as far as the lineups, he's going to go. Yes, it'll be a little musical chairs. But I think you'll see the same faces, maybe just in different orders. Well, I've said this all year. I don't think people believed it. Everybody has been up in arms about their pitching depth. I've been saying if you look around and compare them to everybody else, I think they're in really good shape. And, and now you're seeing it because you were seeing who these guys really trust or don't trust. And in Arkansas's case, number one team in the country all year, he basically trusted two guys with the baseball this weekend. How'd you like to be the number three or four or five pitcher at Arkansas? Oh, I mean, your 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 confidence is shattered. 
it's funny uh, you said that. I just did an SEC podcast, and I'm and you haven't heard it. I made that exact point. I'm like, I think that Dave Van Horn, and I've got a question in the mailbag about that too that I want to get to in a moment. I think that he missed an opportunity to build confidence in some of his other kids during the season because at every turn he just went cops, cops, cops. And I get that you want to win titles, and, and Hoover's nice too, but like, would you not have been better off instead of going to that well one more time, giving a couple other guys a chance to work through some issues? Now, maybe he saw them and just didn't think they had it in him, but uh, boy, that, that was just quite a, quite a statement he made with who he – rolled out there, and I, I thought the same thing. Yeah, if you're going to go down that road, I mean, obviously, I'm sure he had a discussion with Cops, and Cops is going to take the ball whenever he can. I mean, I'm not saying he has a discussion with his parents or anything. I mean, this is college baseball, but, but you know, I'm sure Cops wanted the ball, and, and it looked like it was working out. And, you know, to be honest, Arkansas should have been able to put them away. They should have been able to generate enough offense that today we're sitting here talking and Arkansas is going to Omaha and North Carolina state had a good run, but they just didn't get there. And, and so you almost have to put a little bit of the blame or a whole lot of the blame on Arkansas offensively, not being able to take uh, advantage of the situation. And, and I thought that, you know, if he, if he makes the bad call there, he's running an arm factory, it's Tommy John, you, you know, and and that's going to be used against him in recruiting and all those things. If it works out, then cops is the ultimate warrior. What a what a a guy that that stuck his neck out there for the university to get to Omaha and put the kids on his back. So it's a no win situation for Dave Van Horn. I'm not saying that. And given the situation, uh, if I were coaching and placed in the same spot, it's hard to say that if you got a guy that dominant to not do that. I don't think you'd ever see Tim Corbin do that. And and people harken back to. You know, they were on Tim Corbin after the no-hitter against South Carolina, some other fan bases saying the same garbage that how in the world did Tim Corbin let Jack Leiter throw 121 pitches? The no-hitter meant more than to him than the health of the kid. I mean, it, it, and people are just going to bark and do that and say that. And if it works out, then he's a hero. And if it doesn't, and that's why he gets paid the big money to do it. But um, I'm just saying the same. And basically, you and I are agreeing how did they get through the SEC gauntlet and not have a guy that would have done the same thing in game three and given them the same result rather than risking that on with cops? But, again, you know, we, we talk about – and one last thing, and I, I had a discussion about this with somebody. This 100-pitch threshold that's come on the play in the last – eight to ten years oh we, we pick our numbers and they are arbitrary yeah and 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 this one thing that oh you know 101 pitches you're coming out well the kid's throwing more than 100 pitches if it really as far as stress on the arm he's thrown 50 in the bullpen he throws eight in between innings and those guys don't throw full speed but they're throwing it they throw over to first base you know so yes there's a science to that that and and they've done a history of it that velocity starts fall falling at a hundred pitches and you, you know, you perhaps your leg ability to push off and you get tired. I get all that, but you know, and I, I think I put something, I thought I was going to text it. You mean R.A. Dickey did the same thing in a regional in, in the two thousands. I think it was the early two thousands. He threw like 167 pitches and everybody was on Delmonico about that. It also has a lot to do with the kid too, and and the want to of the kid, 
and uh, how much they were able to do it and, and had the stamina. But, yeah, you can you can sit there and rock her through, what, 117? And, and you could just tell he was getting a little tired. And Corbin, though, that was about it. When he didn't get that out, Maldonado came in. And I don't think he would have seen him p- pitch much more after that, regardless. Let's go into the mailbag because we got a lot of questions there. Our mailbag is presented by Vanderbilt Fan, Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood. Josh can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at joshhqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. Josh is my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Five Star Door says, who should we be most concerned about on our side of the College World Series bracket? Which, that, in case people have not followed, it is Stanford and North Carolina State are going to play one game. Vanderbilt and Arizona will play another. Oh, I mean, Arizona. I mean, watching that thing, that was a nightmare last night if you're an opposing team. I mean, I think uh, Jay Johnson, the head coach who, you know, took his first team to Omaha when he got the job, right after that Vanderbilt run, it was 2014 champions, 2015 runner-up, and then Jay Johnson took his Arizona team, was one out away from winning the national championship, if you recall. So this is his second go-around. But these guys, his comment after the game in the Arizona paper was, this might be the most prolific Pac-10, uh, Pac-12 uh team baseball offensive team in the country that's ever been of all time or something like that. And so that's what he says about his offense, you know, 45 and 16, they're a formidable opponent, Chris. They got, you know, I I was really impressed with their DH, um, Jacob Berry. He hits from both sides. He's pretty electric. Uh, when you look at the numbers there on him, maybe he's batting 359 and, and he leads them in home runs. He's a guy, he's got 17 home runs. So there's going to be plenty of offense on the Arizona to worry just about Arizona. And I think you probably hear that from Tim Corbin, not worrying about North Carolina State and Stanford. But there's going to have to be an output of offense that's a lot better than was happened this weekend because they got some guys who remind me a little bit of Ole Miss, except they bunt a little more than Ole Miss does. But that offensive production last night that they put on against Ole, and, and it looked like games turn, you know, it was 16 to three, Arizona beating Ole Miss. But there's, there's a, and baseball's a funny, funny game how this happens. It was the way Vanderbilt looked in game three down in Oxford, where in that game and the Sunday game, it didn't matter who Vanderbilt put out there pitching wise. And I know some of the wildness contributed to that. But teams get on a roll, and they make it look like it's a college team playing a, a, a middle school team. They're hitting everything. They're advancing bases. They're running. They're, they're taking the extra base. They're hitting balls with high exit velocity. And that's what I saw last night with Arizona. If, in a, a, a tall tale sign here, Chris, for the 26th time last, last night after their victory, they went into double digits in runs. So 26 times of their, you know, what did they play? They're 45 and 16, so 61 games or so. 26 times they went in double digits. 15 times uh, they scored more than 15 runs eight times in this year. So they are going to be all that Vanderbilt can handle in that first game. Now, if you're just looking to answer the question, the bracket-wise, 
of course, you saw what North Carolina State did in game one against Arkansas and then what they did in games two and three. So which one is the one? I think they showed that they're very tough. They got some good pitching. Uh, Stanford's going to be Stanford. Solid. They're going to play good defense. They're going to go play station to station. They're going to hit the ball. They got good pitching. Um, but I, of the, it's a good bracket. It's weird how it ended up because we all thought that it could have been Arkansas and Ole Miss, and there was some fretting on the Vanderbilt side as far as, well, you know, these guys have seen lighter and rocker, a combination of the two at least once. Uh, how was that going to work out? Uh, you know, you, you, it, obviously you want the SEC to do well if you're an SEC guy, but I think the bracket worked out for Vanderbilt as well as it could have if you just take out the personal – uh, relationships of having SEC teams out in Omaha, I would much rather see the bracket shape up the way it is than the way it could have been. Well, I watched a good bit of Arizona this weekend. Two things that stand out to me that could be problematic. They walk a ton. They walk yeah. a ton, and they hit the ball the other way a lot. Yeah, I mean, they uh, typical West Coast team, you know, Johnson – Likes to bunt a lot, likes to put the you know, put pressure on the defense. He's a West Coast guy, and that's kind of that style in that conference. But yeah, they they uh, I mean they're three, four, five guys, three, four, five, six guys in the lineup are very difficult to deal with. Now, how they line up against Kamar Rocker, have they seen a guy that imposing and that, you know, what they're going to do to put pressure on him? You know, they're they've watched enough games and there'll be enough scouting, they'll have their own way, but uh I like the way the bracket shapes up, and and but in Arizona, as you mentioned, yeah, they they hit the ball the other way. They did that last night against Ole Miss. Hit some balls off the wall opposite field the last night against Ole Miss. And when you scratch out twenty hits, I know you know Ole Miss has kind of been a team all year that's been they're just going to beat you to death. Other than their Friday night starter, they're going to beat you to death in the submission. But 20 hits in a ball game in a super regional is mighty impressive. And plus, they played airless baseball as well last night. And, you know, I think they're well-rounded. They played airless baseball, I think, all three games. So they're not going to throw around the lot much. They're not going to kick it around. And, and um, Vanderbilt's going to have to put it in play. We're going to have to uh, get some excellent pitching performances from our top two guys. Well, I've got some thoughts there. We've got so many mailbag questions left, and I've got some observations on Arizona I, I may just save for later in the week. So with that, let's go to this one from Five Star. What percentage does Vanderbilt have to make it to the College World Series finals, and what percentage that they win it all? I, I will just share this. Before the tournament, and I did this on D1 Baseball's Challenge, I picked Vanderbilt to win the whole thing to beat Texas, and I'm going to stick with that. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, it's it's as we know these brackets. They're they're like the SEC tournament. They're mini championships. You got to win within your bracket, and then move on to get to the. I'm sure everybody knows the song and dance is how that works. Um, I like our chances a lot better than I did with Arkansas and Ole Miss, just for the fact the familiarity part that those two teams had on us, and of course. You know, we had familiarity with them, too, but it's just I think it helps our chances if you're looking at that. I don't know what Vegas has as far as us being a favorite. I know it's changed quite a bit um, over the past week. It's it's bounced around. I think Tennessee actually was a slight better favorite than we were for at some point. 
and this gets to be in ask the percentage of champ, champ chances is winning. It's hard to do because a lot of this, it's not the best team who wins. Tim Corbin alluded to this. It's the team that is playing the best at the at, in Omaha and who can adapt, who can adapt to the environment, who can get their their pitching performance for that 10, 12 day period. So a lot of teams, and I, I've told somebody this this weekend, and I think you and I maybe talked about this in the past. I, I think the best team in the 2014 College World Series, Virginia. Yes, I would agree. Possibly, yeah, yeah. They, they were the best team and didn't win it, and we were the better team in 2015 and didn't win it uh, on paper. I'm talking about on paper, and it had as far and so it, that has a lot to do with it. I, I, I like our chances of getting out of this bracket if our frontline guys can continue to do. When I say lighter, rocker, those guys. And we don't have if our youth doesn't come to play here, and we don't have a freak out factor of being the first time. And I think Tim and the and his staff do a really good job of settling those guys into the routine. They go to the park, they go to the you know they're not, they're not going to be for ridiculous reasons of not having an opening ceremony, which I hate it for the kids that they're not going to be able to experience what other other teams have done. But they get locked in. They go to get their picture made of the statue right when they get there. It kind of, and then they hit it and they start getting to work. And I and I think that's he'll get them in a routine, and they'll they'll have to the point of where they're eating and where what time and where they're doing this. I like our chances getting out of this bracket. Now it's a it's a, you know Tennessee on the other side is playing really really well, and they seem like they have this you know ne, you know this is never going to end attitude that they're destined to win the whole thing. But I think Texas is pretty good on that side, too. You look And a little bit of luck involved, too, Chris. I mean, I'm not saying Dallas Baptist is a bad team. They're the, going to be in the final eight. But I'd much rather open up with Dallas Baptist than I would Arizona. And it, so it's just it, the draw has a lot to do with it, too. And Tennessee earned that draw by finishing ahead of Vanderbilt in the, in the seeding. So that's how it goes. So uh, I do like our chances. I, I just do think it's going to be uh, – you'll know pretty quick. This team is never – lost an opening round game at the college world series am i right about that Has i think that's ever, correct yeah so you know if you, you start even in, in in the times before when they went um the first trip so getting off to a good start is going to be um uh, going to be paramount and, uh, and hopefully we can get that against arizona well don't forget virginia could still be going too true that's, that's, right. that's gonna I'm, be settled uh, they'll bad, they'll yeah. first pitch probably i think 20 minutes from now as we do this thing so there, there is that that is correct. Um, I'm looking at uh, – I Googled College World Series odds. This is from Saturday down south. They had the DraftKings odds. And I just – I never thought Arkansas should have been the prohibitive favorite that it was. I mean, I, I could understand they mean the favorite, the margin with which they were. I didn't get because you could see the issues with their pitching if you were really watching. But uh, Arkansas was plus 180 a week ago. Vanderbilt was plus 450. Texas plus 500. Tennessee – plus 600, then a big drop-off from down there to Mississippi State at 5. Then we get to Texas Tech, which is no longer in the tournament. Arizona plus 1,700. I think that was low. Uh, but anyway, that's that's the way Vegas saw it a few days ago. I'm sure that's changed since, but I don't see it yet. Yeah, Tennessee and a couple different service books I've seen. Tennessee was a little bit more of a favorite than Vanderbilt was at some point last week. So under those scenarios, Vanderbilt would be the favorite if, of the ones left. Now, I think you'll see Arizona State drop quite a bit due to their performance this weekend, meaning drop, get better odds and, and more of a uh, than the plus 1,700. But 
those will move around a little bit, but the game's played out on the field, and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of teams go out there and lay an egg. I mean, I've seen teams before go to Omaha, come in red hot, UCLA a couple years ago, and just totally flop. And a lot of that has to do with how they handle it and how they handle the surroundings and the emotions of being there. And um, that's where I'm not too worried about this club uh, being Vanderbilt because of just the repetition and how they've been there and the coaching staff has been there so many times and they're able to just kind of plug it in. And here we are, we're back at the double tree. You know, I'm surprised they don't have, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they stayed on the same floor. Would you, I mean, somehow I would say, no, not at all <laughs> just, and uh, eat at the same restaurants, but that grinding that in and pounding in the routine and, not deviating from that, I think, uh, is is got some merit to it. A whole lot of merit. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a lot of flexibility uh, no. for the Vanderbilt Commodores for the <laughs> no, next week no. and a half. No, 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 not at all. Uh, yes, I think um, I think who their daddy will be will be made made very clear. But uh, <laughs> I say that joking. But in any case, uh, let's get to a couple more. Which of Vanderbilt's batters need to have a great College World Series for them to have a chance to win? I've got a name clearly in mind. I want to see if it's the same one that you have. Well, you could go, uh, you could go off a lot of guys, but I, I think it's important, and I'm just going to say Enrique Bradfield. And the reason why I say Bradfield is he does so much when he's on the base paths. And when he got that hit, he was like, we talked about uh, pressure off his, ba- off his back when he hit that double down the line. But he, he, of course, it had a lot to do with who he's facing. I mean, you know, you've got Wisenhunt, you've got Williams, you know, bearing down on him. But the more that that kid can get on the base and create havoc, I think the better, obviously, for Vanderbilt's chances where they can kind of ease the he's the spark plug that gets things going down through the lineup when you, you could spark Young and, and Dominic Keegan and whoever's in the lineup in the DH and Isaiah Thomas. But I'm just going to say Bradfield. It's probably different from yours. I think Rodriguez has been the consistent one, so I'm not going to mention him. I think he continues, but who's your choice? Well, I think it's Keegan. Here's my reason. I think that with Bradfield, he's just been so consistent. With with Keegan, some weekends he just tears it up, and some weekends he's just okay. Um, Now, I think he's gotten better as the season's gone on. I, I don't think he was great last weekend, but I didn't see him take awful swings. He's a kid who's got the pop to get it out of that place. With the way he hits, I think he is probably their most talented hitter. Like I said, it doesn't always come together. But to me, he's a kid that, that could go down there and could end up winning the College World Series MVP. Uh, and we're going, man, that's the kid that carried them. Or, or he could go, uh, you know, two for, for 17 with, with eight strikeouts, um, you know, and it could go that way too. I just think that, to me, that's the guy – who more than anybody on that team, I think, and you could say that about Thomas too, um, although Thomas has been a little bit more consistent. And I don't say that to knock Dom. I think he's a great hitter. That's just the way it's gone. Well, your big bats are going to have to show up to win this thing. I don't care who you are, if you're North Carolina State, if you're Arizona, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, whomever. But, you know, Keegan, Bradfield, Thomas go one, two, three as far as average. But Keegan you know, leads in – Several categories. He's second in home runs. He's got, you know, he leads the team in doubles. He's top two in hits. And your big players have to show up. And if they don't, it's going to get exposed with the amount of pitching that you're going to see in this tournament. And uh, yeah, he, I could see that being a, I could see that being your choice. And I agree with you. I think it's though that Keegan Thomas 
Gonzalez trio of guys who who've got the pop in their bats and can drive balls in the gap at TD Ameritrade. That's going to be extremely vital. Okay, I like this one from Papa Hick VU. If Vaz remains a starting left fielder, and surely he will, how would you rate the outfield defensively compared to the opposition in Omaha, given the expanse of the field there and the speed of Bradfield and Vaz in particular? Well, Vaz, you know, he he's trained there, and Corbin said that in the press conference. He takes fly balls and and to have him inserted in a in a regional super regional situation when he hasn't been out there to my knowledge all year says a lot about him and something that they've been planning on, obviously to throw him out there and, and never having done in the game and have the confidence, but that is some speedy. I think that talked about that 30 minutes ago when you have Bradfield and Vaz in the outfield left and center respectively, those two guys can carry a lot, cover a lot of ground and, and that's important to keep balls in front of you and track down balls. So yeah, that's, that's that's some great speed right there, and and um, it allows for some interesting defensive strategy. And they can also insert some guys late in the game too for defensive if they want to pinch hit. They can also do that. But that that's a formidable outfield, and and you wonder if Vaz, you know, he came, he came in as an infielder, if that's going to be his spot next year out in the outfield. Uh, uh, potentially, um, I don't want to look too far ahead, but the more reps he gets out there, the better. Yeah, and I think we still don't really know exactly what he is. We know he's fast, but I will say this. That outfield they're going to put out there in Omaha, which is basically a major league park in terms of dimensions. Uh, in fact, there's a lot of major league parks that the ball is going to get there a lot easier than it is there. I, I think that outfield is is faster than a lot of major league outfields right now. Oh, yeah. And and uh, if you remember, you know, they, they brought the fences in from TD, Amer- TD Ameritrade from a few years ago. It used to be even more of a, a, a Grand Canyon than it is now. So the more area those guys can cover, uh, I think, and, and the ball doesn't seem to carry a ton there. There's some swirling wind that can get in there, and 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 especially with some summertime storms that can come off the plains and, and, and come into Omaha. But the ball, I don't think you're going to see. You know, I've had many people say this weekend, you know, it's, it's great that Tennessee's hit all those home runs for them, and their park is 390. It, 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 it goes at a sharp angle where it's almost 355 in a gap. Those are fly balls in TD Ameritrade. So it, that's another adjustment that teams are going to have to make is if they're hitting the long ball and they're in their launch angles and they're trying to get, do that, those are lazy fly balls. And I've seen it in person happen. And you're going to have to adjust to where the line drive teams ball, hitting the ball the other way and hitting the ball up the middle are paramount in Omaha, Nebraska. Well, no, the one thing that is, is a small concern is throwing arms. I, Bradfield's is not great. Bradfield is going to get to a bunch of balls, and he's a plus defensive outfielder, and is always going to be just because of his speed and his ability to track baseballs. Uh, Vaz, again, we really don't know. I, I don't, I haven't seen anything out of his arm, and just the limited times he's thrown that that jumps off the. I would presume if he had a cannon for an arm, we would have noticed it. Uh, just in throws back to the infield or whatever. Thomas has got a really good arm, very strong arm and right. Uh, obviously can cover a lot of ground. Uh, but that is one thing to watch is that, um, you know, they're not great at throwing runners out. And in a deeper park, that's going to be exasperated just a little bit or exacerbated, excuse me. <laughs> that was quite a misuse of words there. I'm only a writer. You'd think I would know by now. Uh, but in any case, <laughs> there, there's your humor for the day. But uh, th- there is that. 
Yeah, I, I don't think those guys have been tested very much from what I've seen, and definitely not Vaz. So that's something to watch, and that's a great point that if you know, and coaches know that scouting reports, you will you will you will see in this day and age with the amount of television and games on that you could see Vaz get tested on base hits the outfield. We'll just have to we'll have to keep tabs on that and watch it. All right, you've got to go in a minute, so I'm going to finish with one question, and, and maybe we can have a mailbag in another pod later in the week if you got sure. time before where we can kind of preview that side of the bracket, and I'll, I'll do some more of these questions and take some more, but let's do this one. I'll be interested in your comments on Arkansas and the way that it used cops. Well, and we hit, we hit on it a little bit. I mean, you, you know, Chris, I say you know without – absolutely knowing that cops wanted the ball. I mean, the, yes, the kid yes. has wanted it all year. So it's, um, as a coach, you have to sit there and you have to line up your, your choices and your pluses and minuses of doing what I'm getting ready to do. Meaning I being the coach, you have to say, is this our best opportunity to win the game? It's a winner take all. This guy's been with us the entire year and is he's thrown how many, I mean, it's ungodly amount of appearances. And he's been unhittable. And then what does it do to the kid personally on the other side? What does it do to his arm? What does it do to my reputation as a coach? What does it do to the mentality of my pitchers three through seven that should be pitching in this situation if it was a normal situation? So I, um, it, it, it is really tough, and, you, and it was tough watching him emotionally. I mean, that kid just left it all out there and – how he just the, the his reaction after losing the game was tough to watch. He's he's a winner. I think I liked his mentality all year long. But that's that's one as a coach you get a gut feeling about doing and you have to go with it. And I think the, the color guy on the uh, the color broadcaster yesterday, who was that? I forgot who it was. It was oh uh, I don't remember. It was somebody who had played there or played L- um, played at LSU. It's okay. the guy. It's the, it's the Todd color. Walker. Todd, Todd Walker, Walker, who yeah. I think is really good. And and but he mentioned he said he, you know this is going to be cops's game until his arm falls off. And and because when you do make that decision, you got to run with it. I was a little surprised early on if he hadn't have pitched earlier 24 hours or wherever that was earlier, it would have made it a lot. You know, you just pitch till you can go, can't go any further. And the way he, he's not on a whole lot of stress on his arm with that gyro ball cutter that they call it. It's, it's, it's a lot of torque, but it's not like he's throwing 98 miles an hour. So Chris, it, it is uh, on this. I would not want to be Dave Van Horn and if, I haven't seen his comments. I haven't read his comments. And it's one of those, you just got to take it. You got to take what you got to take the heat. And, um, in almost in a sense, if you're Arkansas offensively, you got to just say, we should have done better. We should have gotten more hits. We should have gotten more runs and gotten them out of that where it didn't matter. Um, but it definitely changes the perspective of you had two coaches in the sec to me with Bianco, what he did and changing what he did all year long. He changes it up in the last game of the season and what Dave Van Horn did all year long. And he changes it up and, and starts cops after throwing, what was it? 24 hours before 30 hours, whatever. So as much as people want to say in these podcasts that in your mailbag and on your board that I've looked at, you know, while, you know, pitching against Presbyterian, why not start somebody other than Kamar Rocker? 
your your what it does to you, I think, and the moral of the story, and in closing, I'll say, it's what it says to your team. And Tim has said this many times. What you're saying to your team that this game means a whole lot different than the other ones. Now, granted, the first game of the series is different than the last game were winner take all. So don't think I'm not seeing that there's a difference between those two. There is. But I, I just think um, it, it shows what a coach with consistency, and he's going to ride that out, and he's going to accept the outcome regardless, rather than changing something up that you've done all year that's had you be the number one team in the country for pretty much the entire season, and you didn't win, lose a, a series in the SEC all year long, and then you change it up on the last game. And that's something that Dave Van Horn's going to have to live with, and I'm sure he, again, I haven't seen his comments. I want to look at him and see what he says. But all in all, what a warrior performance by cops. I can't, you know, say that enough. You can't say that kid didn't want it. So I praise him. It's just a difficult spot as a manager and as a head coach. And you got to take the blame if it doesn't work. And if it works, you sit there and you shake your head and you say, I really wish I hadn't have done that, but we did it to get to Omaha. All right, Chip, uh, you have a thriving real estate business. There's a lot of people in the market for property around here. Tell folks about what you guys do. Sure. Uh, Frederick and Clark Realty have been around since the 1960s. We have two offices, one in Brentwood and one in Green Hills. Got a lot of exceptional agents we feel great about who can maneuver this real estate market that we're in now. It's happening all over the country. But for those listening here in Nashville, you, they know about it. It's, it's definitely a seller's market. So when it's a seller's market, what does that mean as far as having representation? There are a lot of advertising out there as far as that the companies will buy your home for a guaranteed price and you don't have to deal with the stress. Well, that's fine and dandy. But to me, if I'm selling my house, I want competition. I want people overbidding my house. I want as many people as I can in a, in a manageable way that's safe and that can bid on my house and compete because competing in this market, in the seller's market, is what you want. So what does that mean when you're a buyer? You want to have an agent who can handle that type of market and can draw up a contract that's in your favor, who knows how to negotiate under those terms when there's multiple offers. So in a, in a sense of having, if you're buying or you're selling, we think Frederick and Clark Realty, our agents of over 180 strong, are the people, are the agents that can help you during this market. So we specialize in houses that are 10 and $15 million listings and $20 million listings. And we specialize in areas all over the mid state that are a hundred thousand dollar houses. We do it all. So give me a call. You can personally call me. I'll hook you up with one of our agents and talk you through the process, whether you're buying or selling, you can check us out on the web too. We've got a great website that you can look at listings all across the mid state and you can compare your house to these listings and see the inventory, or you can just call us and we'll do that for you. And it's 615-327-4800. We're under the web. We're on the web, not under the web. <laughs> We're on the web at Frederick and Clark. You're exasperating me. I'm exasperating, right. <laughs> That's right, Chris. But enjoyed the podcast as always, and, and uh, let's do it again soon. <laughs> Just having some fun there. Hey, Chip, in all seriousness, thank you so much uh, sure. for, for your analysis. I know these are a lot of fun. And, and like I said, if we've got some time, uh, we will try to do one later in the week. You going out there? Uh, I am not. I okay. well, I might go out for the title series. Uh, that that's kind of my gamble. Just it's so expensive, and and they're making it 
not really easy on the media. So my, my gamble is if they go to the final series, I'm going to try to make it out there. Otherwise, I'm, I'm going to be doing it from home, which they are encouraging the media to do anyway. I think it's silly. Uh, I, I won't get into all that, but uh, it is what it is, and that's the world we live in. Okay. Well, uh, I'm probably in the same boat with you, but you never know. Things can change. But uh, if we we might have to do a show out in Omaha if we make it to the seri- uh, final series. Let's make that happen. Uh, okay, man. Okay. All right. He's Chip Frederick. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. <laughs>